go again with another Grizzlies game recap. Probably shouldn't be so happy sounding because today was extra depressing. But we're talking about the Grizzlies game. Super important game today against the San Antonio Spurs. If you watch the game or pay attention to Twitter at all or have any interest in the Grizzlies at all, you know that they lost 108-106 to to the Spurs. And it didn't feel like they could lead at all in this game at all. It was just a very disappointing game in general. But we are going to get into all the little notes and facts and box score numbers, plus minuses. Might even get a little bit of hate session going on. We'll find out. But I do want to welcome in once again, Daniel Greer. How are you, sir? What up? What up? What up? That what up that you have does not have a lot of life to it like it usually does. Is that no, how you're? Just, that's how you're feeling right now. Yeah, I just ate some ice cream with my kid. We're dealing with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so just pure depression, and you used your child as an excuse yeah. to down a bunch of ice cream. Yeah, I had a root beer float. It was weird, but it was good. <laughs> What a comfort meal. What a comfort meal after a tough loss. Before we get into a lot of specifics, just general overview, the kind of thing that going into this game, the Spurs have beat up on the Kings, which I don't think anybody really expected. Um, And so that brought them in the game. They leapfrogged the Kings and the Pelicans. We're sitting a half game behind the Blazers and three full games behind the Grizzlies. So today immediately turned into a super important day for the Grizzlies, not only to get the monkey off the back from the Blazers game from before, but to actually get us a win before we get into this really tough schedule next six games. So we really need an easy one for, you know, the Pelicans tomorrow, or I guess today by the time this posts. So this was a really big one. So obviously this did not help us in the standings at all. Overview wise, the Spurs being kind of frisky moving up into the ninth spot since the Blazers lost to the Celtics today. Now they're only two games behind the Grizzlies. Do you have legitimate fears that the Spurs are all of a sudden this frisky team that should be on the lookout? No, I, the the Spurs don't scare me. Um, now, they're playing good basketball. Not great. Uh, but they're playing, you know, pretty good basketball. So I, I, I don't know how they're winning. I, I don't get it. I, the Kings looked horrible today against Orlando. Um, the Pelicans looked horrible against whoever they played the other day. Uh, oh, they've got beat by the Jazz, and then whoever they lost to by a hundred. Um, the Clippers. Yep. Clippers. Yeah. So it's weird um, that we're here talking about the Spurs, but I. I I don't see the Spurs being a real threat. And if you if they get the ninth seed, let's just say that everything ends up going even from here on out because the Grizzlies still have the two-game lead, um, that if they still got up to the ninth spot, I don't, I don't fear them at all having to win you know, the next two from us. So, um, yeah, I, I think they could just because of how weird this is going on. The Blazers have the toughest schedule. The Pelicans could be potentially out of it if they lose to the Grizzlies, uh, I guess, today on Monday. Um, Phoenix is definitely out of it. They're just not that good. The Spurs could be it, and if they are, I'd rather play the Spurs than I would anybody else. Yeah, it does seem like the most advantageous matchup that you would hope to have would be the Spurs, right? (laughs) Right. But as we're going to talk... Yeah, we're two and two this year. And so we're going to talk about, obviously, the actual game itself. But I thought it was important to do this overview because, like you said, the Pelicans game is... It's the most crucial game of the year, right? Right, it is. You have to win this game. And the Pelicans are in the same boat. They have to win that game. Neither of these teams can afford going 0-3 especially the Pelicans because they risk falling out. Now, I know they've got an easier slate for the last, you know, after tomorrow, five. And the Grizzlies is pretty murderous. But obviously we've seen the Spurs have already kind of bust some bubbles a little bit. This is not going to be a cakewalk for anybody. 
This is like eight individual one-game playoffs, and that's how teams have been playing it so far. So tomorrow is like game seven of the Western Conference Finals level intensity. Right. And I think that's what I'm kind of worried about tomorrow is the Grizzlies should have had this mentality for the past two games, all 48 minutes. But it seems like with the Trailblazers, they decide to do it in the last 24 minutes. The Spurs, they decide to do it in the last 10 minutes. So my fear is now it's on a back-to-back. Pelicans had a day break. Are they going to be ready to turn around right away and give 48 minutes of pure focus to beating the Pelicans to you? Yes, I I think that if they win, they won today um, against the Spurs. I think this Monday game isn't that as big of a deal. It's more important to the Pelicans than the Grizzlies at this point because the Grizzlies would be um, in the driver's seat and realistically nobody's taking the eighth spot. But now they lost to the Spurs. If they lose again and the Spurs jump up and win whatever their next game is, then that's a game difference uh, with five to go. So it is a big deal. Um, It's not life or death for the Grizzlies still. I know it seems like it. But going 0-3 seems a lot worse, especially what we're about to run up against in the other games. Um, So I don't want to say it's life or death, but, man, it is very important. And if they can go ahead and win this game um, against the Pelicans, it realistically pretty much puts the Pelicans out of it because 0-3 is big. I don't care which team. Which team loses, you're 0-3. And that's going to be pretty much a shot in the gut for whichever uh, team ends up losing tomorrow. You make a good point about the Spurs schedule because it's murder. Here's yeah. their remaining games. They play a back-to-back. So tomorrow they play the 76ers, Woo. who are going to be out to prove something after that loss to the Pacers. Then they play the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Pelicans, the Rockets, and the Jazz again. Yeah. Jazz both times are in crucial seeding positions. None of the yeah. teams they play left, unless the Pelicans lose tomorrow and are like, we just have no shot at this. I don't think they'd do that right. regardless. There's no cakewalk in this. All these teams are playing for seeding. Yeah. So the Spurs do not have an easy road. So I know this two games seems like a lot. Oh, they've already gained two spots on the Grizzlies. I still really have no fear about the Spurs. Right. I do not think that the Grizzlies are going to be overtaken for the eighth. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. Um, I know that simple been, fact that I know that's been floated out already that they're going to lose yeah. the eighth and be in the ninth. Yeah, I don't see that. Um, if we if we'd have lost like the Pelicans and even the um, whoever lost today, um, the, the Blazers uh, was it the Kings. And the, the Kings. No, the Blazers came back. Yeah. But the way you lose sometimes is a little bit different. Um, it's a, it's a, it's kind of like a, a moral, you know, a moral loss or a morale, like, killer. Like, uh, if you get beat by 20 or 30, I know you can bounce back, and I know it's just a game, but losing by 20 and 30 is really, really tough. Um, losing by two <laughs> and very minimal like the Grizzlies have is tough as well. But you have a lot to build on. You can simply say, listen, we were that close. We made a lot of stupid stuff. Um, we didn't come out and play like we should have. But when we did play like we should have, we, we looked better. Uh, when, you, when you lose by 20 and 30, there's, there's, you just pretty much throw away that game tape because it's complete garbage. And so I think there's a way you lose. And we've lost two tough games. Um, I'm not giving up. I'm not really freaking out yet. Uh, but there's a lot I put into sports, my favorite teams, <laughs> and it's awesome when it's going great. But when they lose and lose in that kind of fashion, no matter what sport it is, no matter what team I, I like, it sucks. And I thought today when I was driving to go get my uh, the groceries for us, uh, my wife always orders them and I pick them up. That's the deal. Um, <laughs> yeah, Dad. I was on, thinking, yeah, Dad on root beer and some well, vanilla tonight, vanilla ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the night we we did the Sonic deal, 
no, but I was thinking um, it's so cool to have sports back. I know I'm really dying right now. I'm pissed off. <laughs> But it's so cool to have sports back and to have something to actually be angry about and frustrated about. Um, so I want a glass half full. Sports are back. I'm loving it, even though it is kind of sucking at the moment. But uh, yeah, um, sports are back. So that's that's on a, the lighter note of life. Yeah, way to way to uh, try to use that to make you feel better about what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> the Dylan Brooks slander is coming. It's coming, baby. <laughs> Well, the only saving grace, because we know after the Pelicans, they had the Jazz, Thunder, Raptors, Celtics, Bucks, right? We right. said before this all started, ideally the number to get to would retain eighth would be three and five. Okay? Right. We were hoping to already be at two games. <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah. We were hoping to wrap this three and five up tomorrow or today, right. depending on where this, yeah. you know, this post. But their right. their saving grace might be in the end. The East teams, if it's set already with seeding, this might be their saving grace. Because right. if they don't win tomorrow against the Pelicans, boy, I have a hard time seeing them stealing one from the Jazz or the Thunder. I really do. Yeah. Uh, so, I... I if the pe- that jazz team is struggling too, so the they're jazz looking for wins. Is re- the Jazz are having a really hard time too. So, I've never been a proponent of the sky is falling after a game. I feel like right. it feels that way. The magnitude of it feels that way because it's only we only have eight of these. We know the finite number, and right. so especially when you lose your first two it feels so much heavier than say an 82 game series where or 82 game season when you're in game 30 and 32 and you lose back to back and everybody's like okay yeah we'll get ready we're good we'll we'll get over the hump we'll keep going it just feels more magnified now because you know you've only got six left and you and grizz fans know every national media person does not want them there and they know that they've talked all this junk about being in the eighth seed and being the rightful eight spot. They don't want to be let down. And I don't want to be let Exa- down. Yeah. <laughs> me either. So I, I think it's fine. The overreaction I get, I know everyone does this when their team has a bad loss, especially when he who shall not be named plays poorly after getting paid. Um, but I, I'm just not on that boat of just blowing it up. Like, you're here for a reason. Right. They're a young team. But we'll get to more of those points because let's actually talk about the game a little bit. So I I decided to do something different where instead of – I usually just watch, kind of process thing in my mind, and that's kind of what I stick to when we talk. I decided to actually write down keynotes because – with the way they started against Portland in the first half, I was curious if the strategy was going to kind of carry over. And is every team going to do this to the Grizzlies? And I think it's what they're going to do, okay? So we know okay. that Ja, a couple of the guys that are starters, aren't quote-unquote great shooters or maybe even average shooters. So what right. we have seen so far, and the Spurs especially did this, made – a very specific emphasis to do this is they helped off not only on the weak side post, but they also brought the strong man wing in. So if jaw tried to make any move at all, not only did he have his defender on his side, he's staring at a wing in front of him and the post. He just has nowhere to go. So we obviously jaw is best when he is using his speed, get by people and, jump over everyone and finish at the rim. And it's just really hard to do when you've got two other defenders and your main defender on your hip. So I think that's why we started slowly the past, these these first two games is they have not figured that out yet. Yeah. And the problem still again, and that's part of being young rookies. That's, they're very young team. That's why I don't think we should just give up on the starting lineup. Although you may feel differently, but he's going to figure yeah. it out. And it takes rookies a little while to figure out what they're doing. And that's on Jenkins and the coaching staff to put the perimeter players around him where he can find them. 
and not only put them around, but they actually have to make them too. Um, yeah. The problem, obviously, for this game again is I know the score was 108 to 106, and it did. it's not a high-scoring game, but it felt like the Spurs could break down the Grizzlies whenever they wanted. The problem yeah. to me is still on the defensive side. It's just not there. The effort is just not there. The effort is not there because the f- if you rewatch the first 10 possessions, what they did, probably six or seven of them, the exact same play was they would put Valanchunas in a side pick and roll. That's what they would do. They'd just pass to Wayne, cut through, side pick and roll comes. He either pulls up, drives, or kicks back to that guy in the corner. And it was extremely efficient in the first quarter. I mean, the Grizzlies could not stop it. And that kept the Grizzlies from getting out on fast break. So by the Spurs playing that real methodical, super efficient, like they basically got um, rec league today. Like Mm. they they lost to a rec league fundamental screen move pass cut team today. And they fundamentals. They could, that's what popped up. They could not get out and run. And that's why they started so slow. When it started to loosen up in the second half, especially in the fourth, it went bonkers. And it felt like we were just gonna go on a thirty oh run and just put the game away. But I mean, going into half, I mean, we were trailing fifty nine to fifty four. Was there some things that you noticed that you wished we would have changed earlier in the game or felt like we did make adjustments to? Like what was kind of some highlights for you that either stuck out or some points of emphasis that you think going into next game we need? Give me our overall kind of feel about it. Yeah, so I I think what we always do and what teams are doing to us, like you said, is uh, we're settling for three-pointers. Um a lot of times because teams will kind of slack off a little bit because we have high flyers such as, you know, Jaw who can get up, but also throw alley-oops to even, you know, JV, Clark, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, we're talking about three guys who can realistically catch lob passes and be really good around the rim. So uh, teams are, are learning to compact the defense in, and I think what we fall into – um, is shooting the, the, the wide open three. I'm okay with that depending on the flow of the game. Early in the shot clock, not an I not the best of ideas. And a lot of times we were catching balls in, you know, 17, 18 seconds still in the shot clock and just go ahead and jack it up, if not in the 20s, if we we're getting down the court fast enough. So um, I did like that jaw was more assertive early on and – I think we did a good job of getting it to JV early on the game. But after the first quarter, we went away from JV, which did not make sense at all. Early on, Jeff Van Gundy even said it, you reward the big guy for working hard. He was our leading scorer after the first quarter. He had, I think, 11 points and seven rebounds. Like, he was working hard. And he finished with 13 and 11. Exactly. So what that means to me is one, we're going away or we're getting out coached. Um, I don't think that we were out coached for the simple fact that we're, we weren't getting beat off of pick and rolls. That's what he's not as good of is the outside shot, the pick and roll pick, pick and pop or go around it and hit that open three. And we're just not closing in like we should. That wasn't the problem today. The problem was literally just one-on-one and instead of driving, they just pull up at the post, or at, I'm sorry, at the short corner, or pull up right at the free throw line, um, wherever, and make a little short two footer. That's what killed us, and we could not figure out that they're just going to pull up and hit their two pointer. Which, you know, hats off to them, they did. So, I don't think it was anything, you know, strategy wise uh, that I would look at. I just think that they hit their, you know, their short shots, you know, that they're good at, and that worked. I think that realistically, the defensive part was just, it's always been effort. We did not rebound well, which is amazing to me. If you watch that game again, every time a shot went up, their five guys were literally in a shape of umbrella, ready for the rebound. When we're on the defensive end and a shot goes up, 
There's two guys that are still out standing around. There's JV under there by himself. And maybe uh, Brandon Clark or uh, Triple J standing around looking to get a rebound by just jumping up high and getting it. That's that's literally the Spurs do it on purpose. Everybody stays in, kind of create that little umbrella type, and that way you can't give up those offensive rebounds. And that's just how it is. So I don't know. I, I, there's a there's a lot to go on this game. Um, I think shot selection is the biggest problem we have. It's not exactly our defense because I think we're playing okay enough on defense. When we're taking bad shots, that usually gets the other team runouts, or we don't get in a good flow to create better shots. And so, like you said last podcast about this, sometimes it isn't the defense that wins the championship. Sometimes it's just better shot selection, a better offense that helps you find your groove in the defensive end. And so I think that's realistically the, the Grizzlies' way they need to do is just start getting better shots, more you know, run to the rim, and then having more drives. And uh, I think they'll figure it out. I just hope it's not too, too late. You make a great point about the one-on-one because – I thought the MVP of the game was Jakob Pertl. <laughs> I mean, he was like plus 25 or something. He played 20 minutes and was plus 25 and he That's walled crazy. off the paint for anyone trying to drive. Yeah. And that was huge. Right. Because since he yeah. could wall it off, no one had to help off of shooters at least deep, you know, where Jaw got deep enough to where the shooter was wide open. They're all contested when he passed out. So Jaws either making a crazy jump pass, which either turned into a turnover, or it had to throw back at half court, and we basically have to start over. Or they just couldn't even drive at all. <laughs> and we're having to shoot yeah. some floater or try to force it to the roll band. And Jacob, Jacob Pertle mm-hmm. was incredible tonight. I've never seen a plus 25 in 20 minutes before for yeah. a center yeah. role player who'd been playing off the bench all year came in and and destroyed the Grizzlies and prevented them from doing whatever they wanted. They're just so used to doing what they wanted, I think, that once they saw, they started forcing it. So it started turning into a one-on-one game, and that plays right into the rec league team's hand. Because in my notes, I didn't remember any any real good ball movement and swinging, drives, and kicks until the five-minute mark of the third quarter. And that's yeah. really the first time that I remember an actual ball movement. I was like, oh, that actually looked nice. I think we missed the three. And I was like, oh, that looked that actually looked yeah. pretty good. Why don't we do more of that? So the Grizzlies yeah. are not a team of one-on-one shot creators. And in two games, I wouldn't say their half-court chemistry has been darling. <laughs> like, it hasn't been uh, the best you've ever seen. And I think you're right on. That's where a lot of problems have come from because we've decided that, well, it's not going how we like. It's time to start doing it myself and be the hero. Which leads us (laughs) to some talk about Dylan Brooks. Now, I know there's a lot of slander out there, rightfully so. I know a lot of people are talking about Dylan Brooks needs to go to the bench and we need to start one Grayson Allen. Grayson, <laughs> big fan of free basketball. Thanks for listening, my man. You're welcome. Anytime you need to pick me up. I mean, Grayson had 15 points in 27 minutes, so he got six more minutes in the other game. Solid production. Two for six for three. At least he's shooting mm. them. Oh, shot nine total okay. shots. He was aggressive. Mm. I've got to give him props. He was actually aggressive tonight. He was not playing this way against the Blazers. He was timid against the Blazers. I don't know what it was about the Spurs. Maybe it's because they don't game plan for him and just left him alone, really. But he was aggressive tonight, and that's what they need. They need someone off this deep bench with Tyus out to be aggressive. But do you buy into the whole thought that he needs to be starting over Dylan Brooks? No. No. Okay. Just, just, just no. I'm glad we agree on this because I thought this yeah. was going to be kind of uh, some fireworks, maybe. Why? No, why would I, you uh, stick with Dylan instead of going for this change, which every Grizzly fan apparently whew. thinks we need? You know, I don't know if I stick with Dylan. Um, oh, so you think because, someone else should start? Well, I don't know if I stick with Dylan because 
Dylan is so good that I think he needs to be in the starting lineup. I think you could easily take him out and replace him with uh, Melton or something like that. Okay. Um, but knowing who Dylan Brooks is, knowing that he's very emotional, knowing that we have to have him because we can't just bench him and put somebody else in, such as Josh Jackson, and do a straight-up swap where – Dylan now plays 10 minutes a game and, you know, Jack, Josh Jackson plays um, 35 minutes or whatever that Dylan played tonight. So I don't think you can do that. So I think what you do, honestly, if it, if it was me as the head coach, is I would stick with Dylan. I would let him know, hey, Dylan, we, we are <laughs> counting on you. It was a bad game. You made a stupid defensive play, but we need you. Watch some game, Phil. To, Yes, what DeRozan we does. need you to be a, a really positive player for us because even though he was plus minus zero, um, that's not because of who he is. That's just because somehow it just happened like that. He literally <laughs> did not do anything tonight that makes that made our team better. But I think as a coach, you can give somebody somebody a subtle hint that you don't like how he's playing. And I think that is kind of maybe you go and sub for him first. And then you see how he's playing. And instead of sticking with him and playing every single minute of the fourth quarter and overtime games of these first two games that we have, is maybe you don't count on me so much. And so, yes, that will be a shot to what he's feeling like, as in he's not the man. He doesn't think he's LeBron James anymore, I guess. I don't know. I just want the coach to get it under control and see how he's playing. Is he playing? Is he hot? Yes. Well, you ride him till he pretty much is just ice cold then. But if he's ice cold, which he's either hot or cold, you kind of have to be a coach and see how the player's going. You limit his minutes during his cold peaks, and you – Go everything you can and ride him when he's hot. So my suggestion would be is to come back off the 35 minutes, come closer to a 25-minute mark, and maybe sub him out and try to see if you can pop him back in and out and see if you can catch a hot streak here and there instead of riding him uh, for, you know, 8, 10 minutes at a time. That that's That's crazy to me. 12 minutes straight from Dylan Brooks? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Here is um I thought you'd be opposite, so I, I spent way too much time creating my defense for Dylan Brooks. Um <laughs> so this may be over explaining why I would keep him in the starting lineup. But yeah. I do believe it kind of falls back on because obviously a lot of his shots came from the first half. I mean he shot he was at four for thirteen for the half. And everybody's like, man, quit shooting, quit shooting. Well, he essentially did because he only shot seven in the second. (laughs) So it's not like he was out there gunning. He was gunning in the first half. And the reason he was gunning in the first half is because absolutely nothing in half court was working. And so it got into that mentality that we talked about. Okay, jaw's not rolling. Triple J is virtually absent this half it's my turn it's on me i've got to carry this team and that's why he was so aggressive yes is his shot selection often pretty bad yeah it's piss poor it's yeah piss poor it's not great he takes some of the worst shots i've ever seen i mean he made one running layup where it looked like he put the hit the wrong button on a video game and he shot a layup from, like, the free throw line. And he didn't mean to. He was trying to gather, and he lost it, and it went in. Right. So, he's, he's garbage. that's what you get with Dylan. And he was trying to help this team. So, I give him that, that he was actually aggressive and assertive. Because in that first and second, besides Valanciunas, like you were saying, who stopped getting the ball for some reason and stopped playing right. altogether... Yeah. He was the only one trying to do anything. Yeah. So I can't hate on him for actually trying to do something. Who was going to actually shoot it? I mean, (laughs) who was going to shoot those shots? No one. No one's going to do anything. There was no ball movement. So I do not blame Dylan. 
I don't. Okay. Now that falls okay. a little bit back on your point guard and your coach. Because if you see how yeah. discombobulated the Grizzlies were, and it was obvious, if you're sitting there as a coach, I know he tried a lot of different lineups and substitutions. It felt like there's a substitution every four minutes, like hockey. Right. Yeah. Like, you've got to stick with something, and you've got to come up with something different if it's not working. If you notice they're packing the paint on John, he has three people in his face, maybe overload a side with shooters. Maybe have yeah. someone well, back cut. Instead of to, standing to, around and just a high pick and, scra- pick and roll and just have Jaw figure it out. Like, that's yeah. that's leaving your point guard to hang out to dry, which ultimately led is leading to Dylan Brooks being held out to dry. He's yeah. going to take the I brunt agree. of what was not planned or adjusted to by the coach and the assistants. So I have a hard time blaming a lot of that on Brooks. The other reason I would not sit him is because the Grizzlies, like we were not expected to be in this position at all this year in the first place. This was supposed to be a developmental year. You just signed this guy. So he's going to be there with your young core for the next couple of years. Now, I'm sure everybody right. wants to trade him already. But all <laughs> season, you loved him enough to sign him to an extension. Okay? It's, it's a team-friendly deal. It's not that bad. You do not give up in an eight-game re-bubble restart on one of your key young pieces. You don't do it. That right. could have a I lot guess. of implications going forward. You already weren't supposed to be here. You stick with Dylan Brooks and you give him the confidence, keep shooting it. If you're Taylor Jenkins as a coaching staff, you're telling Dylan, we don't care. We like your aggressiveness. Who cares what everyone else says? We need you tomorrow night. Be aggressive. Let's get this thing going in the right direction. That will right. help their team. If they bench him, they're stupid. If they bench him, I think they'll lose the eighth. And they'll have to be playing the two games. Because I think that yeah. is dumb. That is my defense of Dylan Brooks. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, no, I I understand. I, I wouldn't bench him either. Um, like I said earlier, um, I think there's different ways to kind of let him know that um, we can't just have you just doing Dylan death ball, you know, or Dylan black hole ball, whatever you want to call it. Um, But to kind of, you know, say what you said earlier about it's not really his fault on some things. The issue I see with Dylan is, is forcing shots. Those oftentimes can make your team kind of irritated because we've all played with somebody who's forced shots and it's frustrating. And you often think that when you pass him the ball, you're never going to get it back. And I played with many of those players before, and I get it. And it's also the simple fact that he doesn't move the ball, nor does he get the ball into the post. Those are my only issues. If he shoots 7 for 20, isn't horrendous. It's not the worst I've ever seen by no means. Sure. But if you could come back... And let's say that's the 16 number. I think it's okay. If you're at the 16, you know, shots, if you're not hot, I think that's the better number to be at. So I think more the I guess the moral of the story is he needs to find someone that can get through to him. I don't know if that's him finding them or some big brother finding them into his head and explain to them how important he is when he's hot and and when you're not hot, how to either get yourself hot as a shooter or to help and benefit your team. And I think that's developmental. I, I, I think because he is emotional, if you set him, I think you're going to lose him, uh, especially for the rest of these you know, six games and possibly playoffs. So um, I think that's coaching. Coaching needs to get kind of with him and kind of figure out how to best benefit him. But realistically, in a year, Maybe next season, he's a guy that's gonna come off the bench for you, and fill it up, and or, and get up shots quickly. And if he's hot, you ride with him. And if he's not, he goes back to the bench. And he's only getting to get 15 minutes that game. But if he's hot, you give him 25 minutes, and you're easily gonna get 20, 25 points out of him. Such as, 
Um, Lou Williams. Uh, who's the other guy? Who Jamal Crawford. Player like that. He reminds me of that. Somebody that can get instant offense. He's an above average defender, unlike the other two. But he's somebody who could come off the bench on a very, very good team, if not a championship team. Mm. But not as a starter. I, I think him as a starter is kind of what hurts us a little bit because if you took him out of that starting lineup and only put him in during the uh, on the bench unit when there's not as many offensive players usually, um, I think he can get more of those shots. And then if he's off during with the starters, those shots have to um, go to other people such as JV or Jaron or Ja or whoever the new two-guard two might be. So um, to run circles around that topic, I think that he's okay for right now. Uh, but in the future, I think they need to figure out how to get him to the bench somehow. And he's on a team-friendly contract, so I think that's possible. You know he reminds me of a lot of whenever I see yeah. him? You remember, you remember Landry Fields a decade ago? Yes, yes. He reminds me so much of Landry Fields. Yeah. That's kind of um, depressing. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, also depressing note, Triple J, were you happy with his game? Yeah. I'm okay with that. He's, you know, he's he's staying out of foul trouble, which is important, very much important. He's back-to-back games. Uh, I think the first game he was close to 40 minutes. This game, 34 minutes. Um, I think at times he's still young and he shows it, but also think that he's doing more stuff now than he did in the regular season or the other regular season, which taking the ball to the hole and being a little bit more assertive. Um I think he's trying to back off on defense, which sometimes that hurts us. But because he's not found, that actually ends up helping us. Uh, but I've been I've been uh, pleasantly surprised and happy with how he's played so far. Um, I think he needs to take a little bit more, sh- some more shots. The problem with him is he only wants to take three pointers and not actually get to the free throw line and below and kind of create shots in there, like a, such as a floater, like a uh, Brandon Clark has. So. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, Are you, uh... That was – the free throw thing is big. He shot three. He was three for three today. DeMar DeRozan was guarding him. That was his right. man. DeMar DeRozan is the I worst guess. defender in the NBA. Yeah. Jer- Triple J did not realize that he could dominate DeRozan until halfway through the third quarter. And he's like, yeah. oh, he got the ball at the top of the key, took one power dribble, and finished a layup. And yeah. I, that's the kind of issue I've always had with Triple J. Well, not always. It's only been in the league, what, two years? Um, yeah. Is, yeah. like, when you just want to be a shooter and your skills aren't really there yet as a dribbler or a ball handler and it shows with Triple right. J, there's times where it's like you're not even non-existent on the court. And yeah. that's what I don't like about him wanting to shoot threes exclusively. Yeah. Because if he doesn't have the matchup where it's a bigger, slower guy that he can just, you know, use his speed and length to either get cheap rebounds or a layup or, you know, gets a wide open three from that, he's kind of unusable. But when he. I wouldn't go there because he does help out. He's, He's rebounding a little bit better during this little eight eight-game stretch uh, or two-game stretch so far. but he, um, he really he, He's taking people off the dribble right now. He really didn't contribute to the game until he started taking it to DeRozan. That's when I thought the game would flip a little bit is when he yeah. realized, oh, wait a second, I just hit three layups over DeRozan. He's awful. Right. Let yeah. me continue to do this. Yeah. That's and, when I thought and, the game would flip. So – tomorrow yeah, on that point go ahead on that on that point my under my, I just get so furious because they are young and I give them all the excuses in the world because they are young and they are learning how to win but they're also learning that when stuff doesn't go your way what do you do when you get hit in the face punched in the face punched in the nose how do you react how do you you know how do you come back from that and when our offense is going good and Josh flying up and down the court and D melts rolling up and down, you know, cause he, he's very good at that and creating that fast paced play. 
that's all gravy. And we are at our best when that's happening. When we are grabbing balls out of the net on the defensive end and we're having to walk it up, how are we as a team? We oftentimes will go into JV early on in the games because that's how games are or during a stretch when we're not finding who we are and we can't get our offense going. But my thing that infuriates me the most is when today, when that's happening, JV's not in the game, why isn't Triple J on the post with DeRozan or whoever's on him and he's being JV right there and saying, hey, give me the ball. I'm going to get us a bucket. I had the mismatch because that's all the NBA is. That's the most furious thing I have is because we need that to happen. And instead, we have a, somebody going out and just shooting a three-pointer you know, with 12 seconds to go still left in the 24-second shot clock. So it just – that part is the, the part that irritates me. Um Mainly, a lot of times, that is Dylan Brooks, which is going back to the point of I just hate his game. <laughs> but I think that to jump off your guy, Triple J, I think that he needs to learn exactly how to take over, but our entire team needs to learn how to take uh, over mismatches because why Taylor Jenkins didn't say, anytime you get, we get stopped, let's go into the post. When we're rolling on offense, let's keep rolling, play our game. If we get into a half-court game, stick it into the post. I don't care who it is, whether it's Brandon Clark. We always have the mismatch, and we did not do that. And I think that's really being outcoached or just maybe just having a young coach who doesn't understand yet. Yeah. I, but I, I don't get it. You, you ride up my wheelhouse with that because, I <laughs> like, if it's not working, like, come on. Quit banging your head yeah. against a brick wall. Yeah. Even move the ball and let jaw post up. I mean, he can jump over Deontay Murray, and especially when Patty Mills is in the game. Like, just post him up on Patty. Just jump over him. Like, just do something different. Like, I've never been a huge proponent of NBA teams just doing a shack, you know, and just throwing it and feeding the big man and seeing what happens. But there comes a point, like you said, where you notice you have the mismatch. I'm that guy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to kill this guy. Give me the rock. Yeah. And it's just and you not have to know yet. that you got to know that walking into the game, you're playing somebody that doesn't have their big guy and the Marcus Aldridge, you know, you're going to have that mismatch. That's predetermined before the game even starts, such as like when you're playing the Rockets, you know, when stuff slows down, just go into the post and see what happens, because eventually they have to double team you. Right. So that's when you learn spread the ball out backdoor cuts like there has to be some kind of sense that you make out of pre-game planning and I feel like sometimes we think that these guys are so young and they're so athletic we just need to let them do their thing instead of actually coach them a little bit give them a little bit more direction than I think Taylor does um, and so I think sometimes he needs to give him a little bit more direction and I think eventually he will but I right right now I think he's just kind of letting them do their thing which is kind of at the detriment to the team right now yeah because that's 0-2 on being outclassed and composure at the end so yep. should be two and oh in my eyes oh and two the big thing obviously was the threes for the grizzlies seven for 30 this game just cannot happen they also right. only shot 18 free throws so that goes back to Pirtle just walling off the paint for them not getting to the line not hitting threes honestly they should have never been in the game to begin with and the way they got out rebounded how are they even in this game at the end to begin with? So, right. which does lead me to the final thing: Triple J's wild corner three at the end. It was actually a drawn-up play for him. That three yeah. was with what ten seconds left. Were you uh, okay with that draw-up? How quick that was? Yes, because if um, you want to get a quick three, or you want to get a quick look at a three, and if you don't you have a few more seconds to punch it back in for a quick two. That way, if you do miss it again, you can still foul, and it gives you another chance to potentially tie the game because they they literally just missed uh, two free throws. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was a good good play call. I would. It's crazy that we're running it to our second-year guy, our, pretty much our tallest guy on the, on the court for an open three. Um, a kind of sneaky thing there is it should have been an and one, 
because if you look at it, Carmelo Anthony ran up under uh, Triple J. And so he actually, when he shot the ball, he landed on top of Carmelo. And that rule, you can't run up underneath of a, uh, a shot, a shooter. You're talking about today? And so that Today. Yes. Go back and look at Not that. Carmelo, From where who he was it? DeMar DeRozan. I thought it was Carmelo uh, Garden. Uh, Carmelo plays for Triple the Blazers. Uh, yeah, then uh, I'm an idiot. Uh, who? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I was thinking of him. It was somebody. Like oh, Lon- Rudy Gay. Sorry. Rudy, Rudy Gay. Gay. Okay. Same guy. Yeah. Same guy. Basically. Both old know, heads. A little bit different groups, yeah, my, but. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, <laughs> sorry, I said that somebody else. Um, but Rudy Gay ran up underneath of him, and uh, if you look at where uh, Triple J jumped from and where he ended up having to land, that actually uh, should have been a call. And the person who called it out, I was looking on Twitter, was uh, Solomon Hill, who plays for the Heat now, former Grizzly. He said that should have been a, a an and one, and they uh, they the actual ref should have challenged it because, uh, and they should have relooked at it because that's actually not allowed anymore due to, uh, was it, uh, whoever got hurt? Was it Kawhi? Whoever yes. got hurt late in the uh, championship somewhere. Zaza. Yeah. Zaza. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, but anyway, yeah, the only yeah, unfortunate my... thing about that is still unfolds. They lose by one. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> that's For even sure. worse. Yeah. It's crazy. I do have an interesting stat that, uh, someone posted this on Twitter, and because I always like late game scenario stuff, and uh, this guy is at J A Dubin D U B I N number five, so at mm-hmm. J A Dubin five, he said NBA teams this year took a hundred and twenty four shots when they were down exactly three points with less than twenty seconds left in the fourth quarter overtime. Every single team that took a two instead of the three. In that situation, lost the game. They were 0 for 31 on the year. Wow. Teams that oh, took wow. the three went 10 and 73. <laughs> That's still not good. but <laughs> So, basically, <laughs> most of the time, if you're down by three with less than 20 seconds left in an NBA game, you've, you lost. Three. You might as well yeah. quit. Because yep. it's very oh, rare. Yeah. And it shows that you probably should take that three. So I thought that yeah. was interesting because I love little stats like that. We don't get that kind of stuff usually. So thank you, NBA Twitter. I love that. Uh, yep. Do you want anything to say? I don't even want to talk about Dylan's getting caught by the pump fake. Kind of mentioned no, that already. Um, anything to look forward to for the game against the Pelicans, or are you just done? You got more root beer to chug. No, no, my root beer float is over. Hopefully, kids asleep. Um, one of them's already down. Went to bed at seven thirty, which is nice. Mm. Uh, no, I have a few. I have a few things. So to hit on Dylan Brooks, um, I, I really, uh, I, I heard something. It was um, kind of an unknown source. Um, I heard he was actually out getting food outside the bubble. So um, <laughs> if you have, if you have, if you know somebody at the NBA, um, I would suggest that he gets a ten day quarantine. <laughs> Um, that would probably help all of us. Um, the second thing, the last thing before I'll, uh, kind of speak on the Pelicans, um, the Grayson Allen slander by you last podcast or whatever, the after the last game, I just want you to understand <laughs> that this guy played practically the same way. He had more minutes. He was more efficient, but I think this is who this guy is. He's definitely in the eight man rotation. He was a uh, a plus four this game, 15 points, shot the ball well. He was definitely able to dribble drive a little bit more. And I think he's a smart player plus defender, and I think he'll be very beneficial for us. Um, and the other thing to kind of side with that is uh, the reason Taylor Jenkins had weird lineups is because DeAnthony Melton – who was in his top eight, only had 13 minutes because of foul trouble. So I think that's why we saw a bunch of in and outs try to get quick rest because they had to get people off the court for a couple minutes here and there to catch their breath, and DeAnthony Melton in foul trouble did not help. But but that's all I have on this game today. Uh, Pelicans coming up. Um, I'm curious if they're going to take the the restraints off of uh, Zion. Mm, Zion looked horrible last game. Oh yeah, I bet he's gonna try to play fifty if it goes that far. Oof, Lord. Um, 
but uh, he'll be hobbling around everywhere. His career is over if he plays yeah. over 30. Um, yeah, for sure. But, no, I think this game will be really good. Um, I think it's the probably the probably the best game of the week, and it's it's the first game of, you know, starting Monday. Um, what time is that game? It is Tomorrow? at 5.30 on ESPN. The all, I think wow. it's the only primetime game the Grizzlies get, right? Or do they I have do one more? So. I think that's it. I think we they hit NBA TV at some point, but I don't think it's anything crazy. So they're at uh, 5.30 on ESPN. This is, you've got to have it. This is, yeah. this is a crucial, crucial, crucial game. They could yeah. essentially put the Pelicans on ice. Yeah, and I, I think the, um, I think we know how to play them. Obviously, we played enough this year, and we've lost every game. That obviously does not matter um, when it comes down to the last few games of the year and in the way this is almost like playoff basketball. But I, I think we're going to get a big game out of Ja. He's going to have Drew Holiday on him, and Drew Holiday is a very good defender. Um, I would imagine um, that Drew's on him. But I think that we're going to, I think we're going to pull this one out. Uh, glass half full on this one. I think we're going to get a big game out of JV. And I think uh, Jaw and JV kind of lead the way. And maybe a sneaky game out of DeAnthony Melton as a bounce back game. Dylan Brooks just uh, maybe needs to be at 25 minutes and will uh, get us a win. Yeah, they're, the Pelicans are 2-0 and on the season. First game at Memphis. They beat the Grizzlies by 10. Second game was 11 days later they beat him by 28 so wow. here we go yep. hard to be a team Not, three no, times yeah. right is that what we say <laughs> exactly and i think we have a uh i think we have kyle anderson uh very good matchup against brandon ingram so we'll see um i think he's back to being healthy so the um the spread new orleans by four Woo! i don't like even numbers Nope. Stay away. Numbers. Stay away. <laughs> well, Danny Wayne, I think that will wrap us up for this episode. I know we went a little long on this game recap, but I think I just need to let you get out some aggression. So hope everyone enjoys the game tomorrow night. Hopefully we get a win, and hopefully we can have a little excitement on this game recap for once. So enjoy the game. Thanks for tuning in.